1: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I briefly talk about the Sixers' 111-97 win over the Dallas Mavericks, specifically about Ben Simmons and his defensive performance on Luka Doncic. We then pivot to a listener mailbag where we spend quite a bit of time talking about Kyle Lowry and his potential as a trade target. Uh, We talk about Tobias Harris and what kind of value he would have as a trade chip. We talk a little bit about the coronavirus pandemic and whether or not the uncertainty for the rest of the season should influence what the Sixers do at the trade deadline. We dive into Ben Simmons, his improved play, and whether or not that was influenced by the James Harden trade rumors. And then we have another hypothetical on Embiid and Iverson. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat, where you can get a 50% discount on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Yeah, I guess today's most of today's podcast is going to be a mailbag edition of the Sixers Beat. We do have to cover the game, 111-97 to 97 win over the weird up-and-down Dallas Mavericks, a game that really wasn't all that close and had maybe the best defensive performance, individual defensive performance, we have seen in... I mean, quite some time, but how you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I asked for
3: a blowout. I asked for a big win, and they got they gave it to me, so that's good.
2: you did You did ask for a blowout. You did ask for a big win, and they gave it to you and to be honest, there is a point you know late in the third quarter where I think the bench or it might have been I think one of the the starters or two of the starters, I think it was maybe Simmons and Curry stayed on the court, but the bench started to shuffle in. Sixers were up something like 11 at that time. And you thought, well, shit, he's going to bring in three bench players here and start the fourth quarter. There's probably going to be an all bench unit. This 11 point lead could get to five and you're going to end up playing Joel Embiid 35, 37 minutes again. Uh, And the bench extended that lead, made the entire fourth quarter garbage time. I think it was an 18 point lead going into the fourth, extended even more to start. And we had a laugher, which was great because I got to start writing my article uh, without fear of. The narrative changing completely uh, and we um, we had a a good night. But before we get to the mailbag, really, I I don't talk about the whole game because there's some ups and some downs. And, you know, Tobias Harris is probably the most important development out of there. Um, He had a right knee contusion, which is a bruise. MRI, MRI came back today, showed no structural damage. Wouldn't be the first time we've heard that and things went sideways. But that is good news. Does that mean he and, comes back and, before the All Star break? I don't know. Maybe he takes three games off, and gives a you know week and a half, two week break. But that is good news.
3: Two quick thoughts on that: one, not the worst time in the world to get an injury, like you said. All Star break coming up, but the second one is even if he misses three games, and hey, you know, I don't know, maybe he misses less than that. Maybe he's back for the the big Utah game. Whatever. Tobias Harris not being available to play is a new thing. Like that dude in the era of load management yep.
2: every
3: is night. an absolute iron man. Really? I mean, the only times that he has missed games over the past five years has been like one game at the end of the year, when a coach would sit him <laughs> this year, he missed three games due to COVID uh, protocols. That's it. He plays every night. So it is going to be a little strange with uh with him out but yeah as long as there isn't any structural damage i mean it was did you even see what happened to him nope you just looked up oh
2: wait tobias is walking off the court what's going on
3: he made a steal that juiced a fast break that i think simmons got fouled on at the end of it so i didn't look at what happened afterwards but yeah then he was walking off the court so hopefully he's okay
2: yeah and i even went back and i rewatched, and i couldn't tell i don't know if it happened off camera or or what happened i did not see the injury um but yeah, so that that is the most long-term concern of what happened in that game. The biggest short-term concern was, was I mean, Ben Simmons. Luka Doncic, when he was defended by Ben Simmons, and he was defended by Ben Simmons most of the night. I think it was something like 70% of the possessions. He scored seven points. Nope, six points on three for seven shooting. Had four turnovers. Those are the official numbers per NBA.com. He locked him the F up. And... Probably even more than any of those numbers we just cited were the shots that Luca didn't get and the spots he didn't get to and the passes he kicked out of. Ben did a real good job. And Luca is you know, Luca has an advantage. It's not always the same advantage, but it's an advantage on pretty much every matchup. Whether it's, you know, perimeter ball skills and a step back jumper. Like Luca is six eight, big bodied. He can either shoot over you or bully you off of your spot. Or if you put someone big on him, usually he can blow by you or get a step back. He can't get any of that on Ben. And Ben is one of the more unique defenders in where he doesn't have a single real advantage. And sometimes an offensive player will succeed just because offenses succeed against good defensive players. But he doesn't have the kind of advantage that he has against Simmons. Simmons is bigger. He is stronger. uh, And he's become a very patient defender. And it it was an incredible performance. It really was. And it's not like Simmons did it by himself. Like, Joel Embiid was real key in terms of pick-and-roll defense in that as well. But that was a real show by Simmons last night.
3: Yeah, it was unbelievable. And there were a lot of people talking about how ugly that game was in the first half.
2: Not, look, I, I it was feel because only- I had made a couple of comments in the first half, and I had, I had specifically talked about ugly offensive basketball. And offensively, that was an ugly first half. I will stand by that.
3: I agree, but the Sixers have to play ugly, man. They're not going to win by playing super pretty basketball against the best teams. So to me, like, you know, for a team that was, I don't know, I think they were ninth in defense coming into last night's game, yeah. cleaning the glass. That's got to get better. So to have performances like we've seen in the Toronto series and against Dallas, that, that was more like it. And yeah, what you said about Simmons, he made Luka look really bad. And you look at Luka's shooting stats at the end of the night, 6 of 13 from the field, 19 points. He made his threes, which he doesn't always do, first off. A couple of them off switches, which good for him. And I would say he got two bullshit fouls against Simmons, too, which I thought were kind of iffy, like, is the hand part of the ball, that that type of thing. Ben made him look really bad. And you, you know what stood out to me without Porzingis? The Mavs are a different team, and it, it it kind of felt like the Sixers were showing Luca, "Hey, guess what? This is what we do all the time. We have to play offense with suboptimal spacing at all times." Yeah. Welcome, welcome to our ecosystem, man. And Luca looked bad. I mean, because they had Boban in the game, and you you have KP sitting on the bench. Which, by the way, Porzingis, even from I don't know, you know, twenty rows up where we are, one of the most Ridiculous bodies I've ever seen in my life. Like a six, a seven foot three string bean. He yep. is massive. But to not have his pick and pop three point shooting and you have Bobon in the game that allows Simmons to get up, that allows Embiid to get up on the screens. And those two in concert just bullied the hell out, yeah. out of Luca. And Luca, he did some stuff off switches, but, but Ben made him look really bad and it kind of felt like the Sixers were saying hey man this is what we have to do you know I want like MB did not shoot that well from the field last night but I wonder if he like he looks at Lukens as hey man welcome to my life you know I have to do this I'm an MVP despite having this spacing at all times and look at you without uh without the great spacing and Josh Richardson and and all those things they made him look bad and To be fair to Dallas, they went five out at the beginning of the second half and they looked a little better. They started making some threes. Probably should have done that from the beginning of the
2: game. It is true. Like, they are, they do not look like the same offensive team that they looked like last year. Part of that's Porzingis being in and out of the lineup. Part of that, like, I think the Richardson, I mean, look, we're we're watching what the Richardson for Curry swap meant for this team's offense. It's meaning the inverse for for the Dallas offense. I do think Luka's life is more difficult, but I also think Ben is a tough matchup for him. Like I said, there's he relies on one of those physical adva- advantages because he's he's not a a super quick guy. He's not going to get there blowing by you off the dribble. He needs you to be able to have to concede something and Ben doesn't have to concede anything. Uh and he did he did a real good job. He did a real good
3: job. And without the pick and pop threat, he had nothing for Ben. Nothing. Like look bad. Bad turnovers, bad shots, not getting an inch of space, Ben picking them up at half court
1: You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
4: Discovered the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. All
2: right, let's, uh, let's move on to the mailbag. A little bit of chatter this week, I don't know if you heard a little bit of chatter about some point guard named Kyle Lowry. Uh, he hashtag is, from here. Yeah, hashtag from here. So I, we'll start off right from there. And this all stemmed, you know, I think it was, what was it? Kevin O'Connor over at the Ringer initially brought this up. And then Keith Pompey reported on it further, talking about Lowry's at least willingness, some might say desire, to end up in Philly. Lowry's agent then came out and sort of disputed that a little bit. But it wouldn't shock me if Lowry had real interest in returning to his hometown to compete for a championship. So he's a name that's going to be brought up a lot over the next uh, month. I don't think you'll see anything happen before the deadline for a number of reasons, but he is a name who will be brought up a lot here. So we'll start off with him. This one from Joe. Would love to know what the Sixers could possibly give up for Lowry and why Toronto would be interested. So I guess we'll just start off from a salary matching perspective, and and look when you so in order to get the Lowry, you have to get the twenty four million dollars outgoing salary. In order to do that, and you can't you can't add the the eight point three million dollar trade exception in order to get there, you can't aggregate that to reach a higher salary. So you can't use that. It pretty much means any starting point is going to include Danny Green and Mike Scott. Those two get you to about twenty million. You then need four million to make up the rest. That could be some combination of one of the Sixers' third or fourth string centers in Vincent Poirier or Tony Bradley, along with probably the young player that the Raptors are going to want, which you would assume would be either Tyrese Maxey, which is probably who they want, and Matisse Thybul, who the two teams um, would probably theoretically settle on as a middle ground. So you're probably looking at some kind of deal that plus fits a pick, around. right? Pl- plus draft compensation. Uh, At least, right? Yeah. You would think there's going to be something. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you give up and You don't have to give up the draft pick. Maybe. Who who knows? But a lot of that's going to depend on the market and whether or not Kyle really wants out. Um, You know, I think that's part of, of why his agent coming out in here is significant, because the best way you get him for a cost that you're not going to worry about too much is if Lowry demands to be in Philly. Well, if he's not demanding to be in Philly, then that cost is going to be a little bit higher because you don't have quite as much leverage. But yeah, you're probably talking about something in that range. Like I said, the two contributors and Green and Scott, one of the, the bench guys that were have pretty much been kept around here as trade filler, uh, a young player, and then maybe some draft compensation on top of that. I mean, look, it's it's I love Kyle Lowry. He hasn't really started aging yet, it seems, which I don't know how because he'll be 35 here in a couple of weeks. He's still playing like and quite frankly, he's playing better than he was at twenty four. Uh, when he hadn't really yet found his groove in the league. He's not quite at the rate he was maybe three years ago, but he's playing exceptionally good basketball and he hasn't really found his aging curve yet. That being said, like, there is some concern. Like, when you start talking about, okay, like, young players, you can probably, you, you'll live without Matisse Thibel. but he is one of your better perimeter defenders. And if you lose Green and Thiebel, then you're running low on wing defenders. Uh, you're running low on ways to, supplement them or add those skill sets back in especially if you include a draft pick because let's say you include a draft pick a 2023 draft pick i think is the one they could trade. i forget exactly but then you're pretty much running out of draft picks to trade because you have two outgoing and the stepping rule of course you can get draft picks back in other trades but yada 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 there's just you're running out of ways to build out the rest of your roster and you're taking a bench that is already depleted and depleting it even more Would would i still have interest yeah of course but there are definitely some concerns.
3: I think the defensive concerns are a little less. Lowry sure. is still a pretty good defender, you're you know. Out, and if, sure. if you're talking about for your core players being able to stick him on the point guard types, it's like Matisse. Like Matisse is the guy who's guarding the Kembas and the Kyrie's of the world now. Well, if that's Lowry, <laughs> then you have a two way player who can actually do that at, at a decent rate. Um. I think it would be awesome <laughs> if they could get Kyle Lowry. It just does Toronto want to trade him?
2: You yeah, know, we I mean, talked it would, about the- it. Would seemingly be, and not only that, but like if 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 he does want to be traded, who else becomes interested? Like, are the Clippers interested? Are another contender interested? It'll be interesting. In this-
3: fairness, you know, the, I think it was the Clippers and the Heat were the other teams that were mentioned. Yep, Sixers have more stuff than those teams.
2: Oh sure. But it's, 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 you know, I, I think this would be a lot easier. Like, so I look, I think Kyle Lowry alone would be a great addition for a, a, a playoff run. Like, I think he is not ex- pretty close to exactly what you need in, in what you're missing. Uh, you, you are right. He is still, even though he's going to be 35, a, a two-way player. Uh, he is the skill set the Sixers need. He's when you start coming off of the Harden or Beal-esque stars, terms of players who will re- realistically be available, he's pretty close to the top. So I'm with you. I would have a lot of interest. I mean, it, it's it's tough to match salary. Um, it would be great if you didn't have to give up three contributors to get it uh, to get it done. Yeah. But I, I think I think this is one that has, like if they are willing to trade him and with how well they're playing, I'm not sure, like Matisse Thybul and a pick three years down the line, I'm not sure is quite enough to give up on the playoff run from their perspective. So it will be interesting to see, like, I, I think in order to get, forget this to get done, you might need Lowry to be like, yeah, I actually, I want to be in Philly.
3: Yeah. And, and there's a chance that that's the case. Like that that wouldn't surprise me. I guarantee you he lives in Philadelphia when his, uh, when his career is over, he's, I'm pretty sure he has a house in the area. His wife is from here. His wife went to high school with him. Um, I believe they, li- they live around Villanova somewhere where, uh, where he went to college. Uh, his wife actually went to St. Joe's, which is interesting. She's a basketball player too. Yeah, I I mean I Love I can see been him real
2: strong in that one to overcome that hurdle.
3: Yeah. So Yeah, I mean he's got the bragging rights on that one, I would say. Although I don't I don't know exactly what the what the women's poly war has been like in recent years. Maybe maybe it's different. I, I would just say, yeah, he he needs to want to come here and Toronto wants to would, would want to trade him here. The uh I guess from a positive standpoint, if like if you're looking for this to happen. Is Toronto looking to pay him after this year?
2: Sure. If the
3: answer to that is no, also then you are could the see- Also,
2: Sixers looking to pay him after this year?
3: And would he be able to take, or would he be willing to take a little less if he wants to finish his career in Philadelphia? There's a lot of moving parts here, which which make it seem like it, it might be tough to do. I mean, you mentioned- that it's going to take three or four players to just get to the matching salary. You know, Toronto's probably going to have to cut some players. You might have to take, like, Paul Watson back in a trade or
2: something like that. Well, but, its I mean, then that gets hard because then you're increasing your own cost basis. I think what would end up happening, there, and there's ways we don't need to go over too much, but, like, you could set up a second deal then where, like, you trade back a couple of Toronto fillers for that trade exception. So that way you don't have to increase the amount that you send to Toronto. So you let's say you have another, Stanley Johnson was the name I was thinking of because he's like just under $4 million. You take him back in a trade as part of the trade exception or for the trade exception, absorb him with the trade exception, then you can still only send out $24 million without having to increase your own. But yeah, there's 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 ways for sure. Mm-hmm.
3: For sure. So it seems like it, it might be tough to do. I, I would be for it though. You know, I understand... That he has aging concerns, but shoots threes, is one of the smartest team defenders I've ever seen. Can do stuff in transition with Simmons with yep. like hit ahead passes. It's just a winner. I, I know that's kind of old school, lame way to describe a player, but the mental toughness, all of those things, I would I would be very interested in bring him here. He is not, and I, I've heard this a little bit in market over the past couple of days. He is not. The closer that some people think he is, like the the Zach Levine, Jimmy Butler level closer, you know, give him the ball at the end of games, he can do that a little bit, but but he certainly is not, you know, just give the ball to Jimmy and clear out. He's not right. that level of uh, of closer. But in terms of like what you can get on the uh, on the trade market, he would help you win a lot in yeah. my
2: opinion. So yeah, no, and, and like any concern I would have, it's much it, like I think starting off with Simmons and bead lowry tobias harris and let's say shake milton as sort of your core five to contend for a title i think that's a real good start to a playoff roster much better than where they are currently the question is now how do you get these six seven and eight players in the rotation to finish that out because you are making this trade to win now uh and in order to do that i think you need a couple more pieces this would limit your ability to get those final three players but those players will almost always be easier to acquire than Kyle Lowry. So I'm with you. I would have a lot of interest in this. Um, but but even before the
3: Sixers are interested, Lowry's got to want to come here. Yep. Toronto's got to be willing to accommodate him.
2: Yep. And he's pr- he's probably got to force that issue a little bit. And comment from the agent right now, what does it really mean? Who knows? There's a whole lot of saber yeah, rattling that goes on right now. We're a month before the deadline. We'll see how this sort of takes shape here over the next month when uh, when it becomes real. And look, I do think... You know, if you are confident in Lowry and his 35-year-old season, his 36-year-old season, and his 37-year-old season, then you're you're willing to give up even more because you're not going to get him. I don't I don't think you're going to get him over the summer for the taxpayer mid-level. Like, I think he's going to end up costing more than that on the open market. So there is value in getting his bird rights. I'm just, I haven't yet 100% decided how comfortable I am giving him a two or a three year deal at his age. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. And that does go into what I would be willing to offer because you're just willing to offer more for a guy who you think can contribute beyond this year than you are for a rental.
3: It's certainly an, an interesting possibility though. I, uh, I don't know how real it is, but it, it's certainly something that if they can get it done, I, I, I'm not saying they would be like the favorites in the East, but the, their ceiling would go up
2: for oh, sure. for sure. For sure. Because you would have
3: to trade Danny Green, who I mean, and to be fair, like losing Danny Green is losing a rotation player. So I don't want to completely minimize that. But the upgrade from Green to Lowry, that's that's real.
2: Yeah, I think I think Lowry would be huge in pretty much every series in the East from the Celtics to the Bucks uh, to obviously the Raptors who you're you're hurting uh, with that trade who are basically punting the season if they would, which is why I think their asking price would still be pretty high. You know, the one I, I do worry a little bit is you're losing perimeter defenders for the Nets and not that I'm comfortable with Danny Green or even Matisse Thybul defending Kevin Durant or James Harden, but like more comfortable than I am on Corkmans, that's for sure. So there would be some, uh, mm. some consideration there. But like yeah, I said, I think I'm, those I'm guys not that are,
3: wor- I'm not that worried about the Nets. I don't think that's, that makes, I mean, I'm worried about the Nets in general. I just, I'm not worried not with about the trade. Lowry's fit with the no, Knights.
2: I mean, I, I think Lowry would be good for one of those three, but
4: we'll
2: he's it's, wanna, it's fascinating. It's fascinating.
3: He's got to want to force them out. And I, I guess if you're talking yourself into it, he has been he's probably the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time. So, for career, has he sure. built enough equity? And, and does Masai see the writing on the wall for well, that? And
0: to that,
2: happen? like, if we're talking about kind of the bullshit that comes from agents and teams and executives and rumors and sources at this time of year. I think that's one that could play a part of it because you're talking about a guy in Lowry who has a a history and a legacy in that city to think about. Even if he wants to get to Philly, he doesn't want it known that he wants out of Toronto. So he probably, like if, if you're Kyle Lowry and you want to say. Oh, he
3: doesn't want out of Toronto. He wants out of Tampa.
2: Right, right. Fa- fair enough. But even if you're Kyle Lowry, you want it to seem like, hey, I was fine where I was. Toronto just made the best business decision for themselves. They made this trade because they wanted Matisse Thybul and a draft pick, not because I wanted it out. So even if he wants, even if behind the scenes he would be telling Toronto, hey, I'd really love to go to Philly, his agent sort of has to deny that publicly at this time. So
3: I mean, reports are reports. He's just been eating meatball subs at Wawa <laughs> in, in, the Toron- in the Tampa area, and he just
2: wants to come home. No joke. Those meatball subs did me in. Like when I, when I was at my heaviest, that was because I ate a lot of meatball subs from Wawa. That was, that was my go-to. And then, then they started putting the calories on there and it was like, oh my God, that's 1,200 calorie sandwich. What am I doing with my life?
1: Whew. I've, I've eaten a few in my life. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: All right, moving on. We have this question. Sorry, I had to flick a cat off my desk. This question comes from Scott. It's about Tobias Harris. His three-point attempts, three-point percentage, and free-throw rate continue to regress to the norm. He's again passing up open threes and doing too much mellow stuff. What are the chances morey deals him this season? Small. Well, I mean, yeah, so... It's funny
3: that some people have have told us that they think
2: trading Tobias might be
3: easier than people think on the outside. I'm not buying that. I think it's still pretty tough to trade him. I think that that contract is, it is what it is. I've
2: had a lot of people ask, like, is that now a positive value contract? No. No, it's not. That's still a negative value contract. It is, he's just playing slightly better basketball. Significantly better basketball but not like he hasn't changed who he is. And it's sort of the question that Scott is getting to in his question. He is still the same player. His, his statistical profile is still that of the same player. He still has the same limitations. People aren't going to magically wake up and be like, Hey, that is a player who is now worth a near max contract. Um, That is still a tough one to trade. So I, I guess moving like, so about regression, I'm not sure his, his, So certainly his shooting and his willingness to shoot has regressed, you know, over the last 13 games here, he has taken 3.5, three-point attempts per game at 31% from three. So he is regressing back to his career norms in that regard. He's still getting the free throw line a little more than he normally does. Like he currently has about a 33% or maybe a 30% free throw rate over that span. So he's still getting the free throw line, not a lot, but slightly more than his career norms. And his passing over that span, he actually has like a 3 point, a three to 1 assist to turnover ratio with like 4.2 assists over his last 13 games. That is a peripheral stat that is better than his career norm. So I think he's regressing back to the norm in some instances, but still adding value in other ways he doesn't always. Bottom line is this. And I think whether or not these Sixers would trade Harris is interesting because when you trade Harris, you're almost conceding that you're getting back the worst player. Like you're trading him for Cap purposes for flexibility. I think Daryl Moore looks at Joel Embiid and the way he's playing and where he is in his prime. And I think he's very, very focused on competing for a title. And I think most potential Tobias Harris trades aren't going to get you a better talent back and probably not going to get you a better fit back either. And might get you farther away. You would take a step back from title contention now. With the belief that over time, a year from now, maybe even two years from now, you can take two steps forward towards the title contention. It, would he be willing to do that now? I don't know. I, it seems like there... The devil would be in the details on a trade. It seems like that trade where you can both gain flexibility and also get closer to a title might not be there at this trade deadline.
3: Yeah, I, I would say trading him is going to be hard. And despite some of the... Process-oriented stats, some of the peripheral stats regressing to his his normal level, still shooting at a higher level than past seasons. Tobias is a good enough player to where, like, you just don't want to give him away for a terrible player who offers cap relief two years down the line, like you said. So, that's the... uh, That's a calculus that has to be in Daryl Morey's head. And I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's an automatic look for the cap relief in a couple of years, because to me, I think you're going to get a much worse player.
2: I think the only way this would. So I think Harris playing a better version of himself makes him a slightly less negative trade value contract, which would be really important if the Sixers had other blue chip prospects or assets to include in a trade for a star but you would have needed shake Milton to make that jump to 18 to 20 point per game score where he could be a headliner in a Bradley Beal trade. And then you could use Tobias Harris both to give them another contributor, but also match salary. Well, shake hasn't made that jump. You don't have the blue chip trade prospects to trade for a star of that magnitude. And Harris alone, isn't going to be the the focal point of a trade like that because he is still a negative value contract. So I think I think I just don't think the all of the circumstances are going to come together the way that you would need them to. All right, let's move on to legs, leg sanity on Twitter. With COVID hanging over the season, does it make sense for the Sixers to make a big move before the trade deadline instead of waiting for the summer when the future may be more clear?
3: I don't understand.
2: So, like, there's still, there's there's been some concern, like, could something happen and the season be shut down or maybe it doesn't finish or something like that. It's an unknown season because something could happen to uh, to derail it. I, I think I would push back pretty strongly. I think, first of all, like, the odds of the season just not being finished is pretty low at this point. Uh, like, I think they have, they will find a way to get through it. I don't think we've seen anything that would suggest that if they've been able to get this far, that they're going to stop. Um, Money is a pretty big driving factor in human decision-making. And also, like, so even if we put, like, odds on that, like, let's say there is a 5% chance the the season isn't finished and they don't crown a champion, which I think might be high. Even so, you've got to look at it. Well, this is Joel Embiid having an MVP-caliber season. Uh, Would you not make moves because of that 5% and then risk Wasting a year of Embiid's prime? No, I don't I don't think that will factor into their decision-making all that much. You know, if if there is a big move to be had at the trade deadline that Daryl Morey thinks pushes them towards a title contention, I think they will make it. If there is not, then they won't. And that might push them to make a big move in the summer, but I don't think it's going to have much to do with COVID in that decision-making process.
3: Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I didn't have a lot for that one. My bad.
2: This one from Keith. I feel as though Ben has picked it up after the Harden trade. I know his knee was an issue to start the season, but I also feel the trade rumors got to him. Can you do his numbers split before and after the Harden trade? Whoops, I forgot to do that. Um, But I guess just overall thoughts on whether or not the Harden trade rumors could have impacted his early season play.
3: Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, all he talks about is his mental after... Dude, I can't do this podcast. I... We're gonna have to fix this. this I'm sorry. Uh, I
2: was busy. I was busy yelling at my cat. I, I put myself on mute specifically so you could go on your little rant there.
3: It's very distracting. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's <laughs> very distracting.
2: Dealing with it in person. I'm sorry. Just go <laughs> ahead. Keep going.
3: Okay. <laughs> we'll see if I can do this. So yeah, he, all he talks about after games now is that his his mental
2: is bad. Yeah, which which by the way, like I don't know if that's like an an, an Australian thing, but like your mental approach, like there's, there's usually another word your mentality. It, yeah. Anyway,
3: I've heard Americans use that too. Just a shorthand way of saying it, whatever that has gotten better since the Harden trade is over. Now, is it because of the Harden trade? I don't know. Would it be natural for it to improve now that he knows he's going to be on the team for the rest of the season, at least perhaps, I mean, Harden really was, the one big chip that was out there that you would be willing to put Ben in a trade for, so I would say that he certainly feels some level of security there i I don't think his knee was a hundred percent to start the season, whether that was an injury or just like he hadn't played a ton of basketball for ten months, so maybe there was an element of him needing to feel a little bit more comfortable, get back into game shape, run up and down the floor a few times, which he did mention. Was more the issue, so I don't know exactly what the what the thing is, but yeah, it definitely could have been the the fact that once Harden left. Okay, I know I'm here. People are uh, they're on me because I'm not playing that well. Now I'm gonna start getting to the basket. I I could see that being the case. Can I confirm it? No, because I can't confirm a lot of things that go on in between the years on Ben Simmons. But I I, I certainly think like it it didn't hurt his. his mentality, yes. his, uh,
2: his emotional well-being, which so would be here, natural. It, we, that, and that would be natural. Of course. So I looked up the numbers while you were talking there, uh, while I also wrangled a cat. Uh, the Harden trade happened in mid-January. Up to that point, Ben Simmons was averaging 12.4 points, 7.9 assists, and 8.6 rebounds, while shooting 51.5% from the field and getting the free throw line 4.5 times per night. Since then, he is averaging 17.8 points and 7.8 assists while shooting 59.4% from the field and getting the free throw line 6.3 times per night. So the key there to me, I mean, he's making a lot more of his attempts, which I, I do think is not just small sample size. Like I think the attempts he's taking are better. And I think you can see that statistically, not only in the field goal percentage, but in the free throw attempts. I think those two are the keys. To me, And also, I mean, he's shooting two more. He's not only getting better shots, but shooting two and a half times more per game. And to me, those things go hand in hand.
3: The more free throws you shoot are because you are attacking the rim harder, smarter, whatever. Yes. And your shots are going to improve if you're attacking the rim harder, smarter, whatever.
2: Yeah, 100%. And look, like you said, do I know exactly why that change has happened? No. Like most things in life, I don't think it's ever as easy as one explanation. I don't think it's 100% the knee. And I don't think it's 100% the trade rumors. And likewise, I don't think it's 0% the trade rumors. Like these are still, and Ben, I think, tries very hard to not let it, I mean, J.J. Redick looking glass comment. He tries to sort of keep both an even keel, but also I think to keep us out of it to some degree. Like I think he's just a private person in that regard. He's not going to ever completely open up on what he's thinking or feeling. I actually think he's done a better, like he's opened up more this year. But he's still a little bit of a reserved private person, but he's also a human being. And when you have besides just the does my team not like me? Did I do something wrong? Like, why am I being traded? Yada, 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 which would be natural and a human reaction. There's also like, hey, I might have to pack up all my shit and move to Houston in the middle of a season in a very quick timeline. Like, there's just a lot going on in your head during these trade rumors. And we like to pretend they're not, and we like to look at everything through X's and O's, but there is certainly a human aspect to it, Uh, whether it is, you know, the feeling slighted by being in trade rumors, or the practical details of being traded, or just the stress of all that combined, it would be 100% natural for that to impact him to some degree. But I also think the knee was bothering him, and he was slumping, and he was not confident too. Like, I think there's probably four or five explanations that go into one equation.
3: We'll know the answer if he stinks to start next season. And then Maury drums up some fake trade rumors for some player. And, uh, and that gives him the, uh, the motivation to start playing better. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't come to that,
2: but yeah, you never, know. you never know. I mean, there could be another star that comes available. And, and if that happens, like I, nobody's untouchable for me. And I think probably nobody's untouchable for Daryl Maury. So we will, we will see. All right, this one from Tony. If you could put this year's Embiid on the 01 Sixers or the 01 Iverson on this year's Sixers, which team is better and benefits the most? So it's really asking about supporting cast and era, era of play.
3: I think if you put Embiid on the 01 Sixers, just
2: respect. because teams are so much worse back then and so much worse constructed.
3: I mean, to be fair, the, the the front court fit with him and Matumbo would not be uh, oh, even no. in that era would be a, yeah. a little tough. Teams would not shoot one layup the entire. I season, mean, the front
2: though. court fit with him and Tyrone Hill isn't much better. It's not like you had many stretch four options there. Oh, and, and that goes back. Like, are you including like Larry Brown, who like he's not putting it like? Would you put like Jermaine Jones as a four? Like Larry Brown's not doing that. Not that Jermaine Jones is that good of a shooter anyway. But you don't have many options. Ugh. God, basketball is so bad.
3: I was thinking about this today, and this doesn't even go back as far as the 2001 team. But somebody brought up Thad Young as a uh, as a trade option, and Thad's playing great as this small ball five in Chicago. I, I don't in the think yard? it's you going it's back realistic to for Collins? a bunch of reasons. I mean, I remember that, but what I specifically remember about those teams where your uh, your wings, your two three, were Andre Iguodala and Thaddeus Young. Yeah. They they would be a four or five now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's two ways. This is an interesting question because on the one hand, I think the current team skill sets would fit an Iverson and bead duo better for sure. A hundred percent. Like when you start talking about shake Milton and Danny green and Mike Scott and Furkan Korkmaz and just some of the shooters that you would have around us. Cause that's really what you need. You need a whole bunch of spot up catch and shoot threats. Seth Curry, that is a much better team to complement your two stars. On the other hand, I would I, want Iverson. I'm not seeing it. I-
3: Iverson and Ben would be a disaster.
2: They would be. Disaster. They would be. Offensively. That being said, I'd rather watch Embiid on the one team. No, because- you're getting this all wrong. I'd rather watch. Not from an aesthetic point, but just because Embiid in that era would wreck it with his three point shooting and his perimeter game and the way he could do stuff that other people back then just couldn't do. And the way, and specifically and where I was getting to, I want to watch Embiid and Iverson versus Shaq and Kobe in the finals. That's what I want to watch. That's my whole reason for having this answer. I want to see how those two Titans and Shaq and Embiid would go against each other in their primes uh, and how those two different styles of play would
3: Oh, you know what? Against each other. I, I was reading this question wrong. I thought you were trading both of them. No, 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 no. no. You're adding them. Okay. Correct. Well, that, then that makes that makes a, a difference. Yeah. Um, well, then it's it's definitely the O one Sixers. I mean, Embiid and Iverson would be would be awesome. Well, but oh, I mean, I, Iverson this year. Okay. So so that makes a difference. I, if you are keeping Embiid on on this current team and you have Iverson, I, I meant Iverson and Iverson and Ben would be kind of a disaster, but Less of a disaster with Embiid
2: there. Uh, and with the other space like the I think this team would fit Iverson and Embiid better than yeah. the O one team. I just want to watch the finals in O one with Embiid on it. That's okay. that's all I want. That's all I want. The,
3: that that's a better question. Iverson is the perimeter scorer with, with Embiid and Simmons. Yep. Yeah. Uh I still think the O one team benefits more just because Embiid is better and the era of basketball was worse, but yep. Yeah, I mean, if you could put O one Iverson on this team, like if if you could trade through a a time machine for yeah. for older players, like uh, you know, as much as uh, as much as the efficiency debate has been brought up over the past couple of days with with Iverson and get called a nerd for mentioning that, uh, <laughs> I think he'd be I think he'd be pretty damn good without the hand oh, check rules.
2: I would I w- I would love to see Iverson. Without handshake rules and all, with modern day spacing and belief on the game. Like we talk about whether Iverson fits now. I would love to see him with the kind of space teams are afforded now when he doesn't have Eric Snow and George Lynch just and Tyrone Hill crumbing everything up. Um, so, yeah, from a, a a vacuum, like I think Iverson and Bead on this year's team would be significantly better built around them. But from a narrative perspective and from watching Embiid in that era, I want to see Embiid wreck it against Shaq and the 01 NBA.
3: Embiid against 0-1 Shaq would be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. All right. This one from from Dan. Would it be tougher to defend Spike, Mike, or Kyle Newbeck? Hmm. In terms of what we know about... So, I mean, Spike, I figure, can't move. So we'll cross him out because he has the back issue. Mike is probably more athletic, I would guess. Kyle seems like he is... First of all, Kyle's taller. Kyle's probably got... like. Kyle might be taller than me and I'm six two. Or he's at least close. He's I would guess Mike's player. probably five ten, five eleven ish.
3: Kyle's a soccer player. He says that uh he's more of a rebounder glue yeah. guy. This and by the way, we haven't had a conversation about uh this in the two on two terms. This is just me talking to Kyle over years of knowing him and yeah. talking <laughs> about.
2: Basketball. We, we have not challenged Kyle to a to a game.
3: I don't, I don't know. You can, you only included this question. So you could, you could talk shit on spike <laughs> and I'm not going to take the bait.
2: Hold I'm now. not saying you're wrong. I I, I I. would guess Mike is probably the best basketball player of those three. Uh, but Kyle is certainly the biggest, not losing sleep over any of the three though. All right. That's probably about all that I have. Anything else you want to get to before you leave? No,
3: I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> It's a familiar note for the last couple. It
2: it is not a complete diss track. We held back on this one a little bit, but all right. Sounds good. We'll probably have another podcast out early next week. Talk a little bit more about the Mavs game and then the games coming up, including what we have the Cavs on Saturday and then somebody on Monday. Who's Monday? Indiana. And then the Jazz to close out the first half of the season.